Another one bites the dust. Another one bites the dust. Another one's gone, and another one's gone, and another one bites the dust. Hey, I'm going to get you, too. Another one bites the dust. Man, come on. Is that fitting or not? We're going to be talking about code and Absolutely. all kinds of stuff, Absolutely. man. All right, so right off the bat, our, our special return, I guess, guest host or whatever, <laughs> Jim Carrick is back on the airwaves here. Oh, yeah. I got Jim to the right of me. He's a little bit sore, but uh, he'll he'll manage through this. But Jim, good to have you back, man. Yeah, it's good to be back. Yeah, be back. everybody missed you, man. Yeah, they, yeah, a lot of a lot of people reaching out. So yeah, nice. Thank you. It was Thank a nice. You. It's, it's a, nice. Yeah, it was yeah. really really nice. But uh, we won't shine the light too much on you. Who cares about you? Let's talk Fuck about no. Glenn here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's about me, Jim. <laughs> it's all about you. I don't brother. care how long you've been around. <laughs> So we got Glenn Good here. Now, Glenn, you want to explain. So you're a retired code consultant? No, I'm actually a retired building official and a retired college professor. Oh, Conestoga. Conestoga College. Which, Jim, you're familiar with. Yeah. Right? And the Architectural Construction Engineering Technology Program. Whoa. I'm a grad of, but I went back to teach for 14 years there, building code and fire code and some other subjects. Still teaching or no? No, retired from that, so I run my consulting business part-time, sort of full-time in retirement. My wife thinks I'm retired, but I'm not really <laughs> but you're retired. Not, we're never going to retire. No. That's how it is. When you love what you do, you don't retire. Absolutely. Okay, so today on today's show, we're going to talk about everything to do with the code. Okay. Everything. Everything we possibly <laughs> okay. can. You got your binders. So We've the, got binders here. So the listeners should get a sleeping bag out in the pillow. No way. No, the no, listeners no, are going to no, take no, a no notepad listen. and start making lots of notes. But we're going to talk about part nine. Everybody yeah. that's in Ontario here is yeah. very familiar with it. Yeah. We want to talk about SB12. We want to talk about how to engage with officials. Right. We want to talk about the educational process because yeah. you did mention yeah. off mic before we got started yeah. that there is going to be a shortage of building officials, but that's you're correct. teaching some of that. Right. Unfortunately, some of these kids are not receptive to your knowledge on getting on the job site, which right. is what Jim, you've mentioned yeah. off mic. Glenn actually mentioned that. Like yeah. he, he was telling the kids, get on job sites and learn a little bit of construction etiquette. Yeah. Right. And so we got we got a lot to talk about. So yeah. I, I've got some people that send me some messages, but I'll take it over to you, man. You just get started, and we'll just go okay. right into it, man. Many many years ago, when I had hair, <laughs> I just I, had a ponytail a minute ago. <laughs> that ponytail so I, I think it was fake. I think it was fake. It's fake news, actually. Um, I I started out in the construction industry as a junior estimator, project manager in commercial construction, and had my employment opportunities freed up due to a recession in the mid-80s, and ended up applying for a job, got a job as a building inspector. Didn't really want to be a building inspector, but ended up being a building inspector for the city of Cambridge. My boss at the time was excellent in that he very much had the philosophy that building officials, building inspectors, need to understand that they're part of a team, that they're not a police officer. Right. They're part of a team. And so his philosophy was, is get to know your contractors, build a relationship with them, don't be a difficult person on site. You have a job to do, but you, you need to develop relationship. And so that was the best thing ever. The other thing that, uh, and I'll give a shout out to Jim McCabe because he, he was my boss. He's retired. He applied what we call the COB principle. That's an acronym. It stands for condition of the bowel. 
So depending on the condition of your bowel that day, you know, if it's been a good week and things are fairly regular, then you're probably going to be easy going when it comes to enforcement. If it's been a rough week, you know, wing night, maybe two nights and maybe too much, and too many beverages, and you're feeling it, and you're feeling it. He, he made it fun to understand that you have to understand that everybody's coming to a framing inspection with different emotions. That's yeah. really was the point of it. He always said, you know, you want to find some good things. Even if you see a lot of bad things, when you get out of your car, you see some bad things. So you give some compliments. And, and, and I found that that was sound advice because you built a relationship with the builders. Get to know the person. Get to know the yeah, person. I think, Be- you know, I mean, that's great. And that's most of our inspectors are like that, the older ones. And, but it does. I mean, give a little bit of encouragement at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then it's easier to take the, hey, you know, can you yeah. maybe look, look at that, clean that up, right? Yeah. One of the builders that I got to have, I got to know the best and had the best relationship with. The first day I went out, it was I'd only been working about two weeks. I went out for a framing inspection of an addition, fairly small addition. I get out of the car and I don't even see anybody, and all I hear is, "Oh, they're hiring straight out of kindergarten." I see. Whoa, <laughs> that's a nice start. And and so I, I you got to know my 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 personality. I just turned around, got in my car, and drove off. <laughs> and I look at my mirror, and there's this guy waving at Good me. Good for you, know? you, man. So I turned around and went back. And I'll just use his first name, Don. Don and I got along royally after that, that day. <laughs> he said, "You know," he said, "You got a little bite." I said, "Yeah." I said, "I I didn't know if you were talking to me or not, but I said I'm not straight out of kindergarten." But I said, I did some background on you, and I know that your company, your dad started this company, and I gave him the history of his company. Wow. And I said, so I don't expect to have any problems here. And I, I was looking forward to getting to know you. And you know what? We got along great. There were issues, even on that one, minor ones, but we were able to work through it. And so... Did uh, you do that to everybody? Like, do a little bit of a well, background drive check? Drive away? No. <laughs> <laughs> that too? No, but did you do background? Like, in in just, those early days, because I didn't know anybody. It I, makes I mean, sense, right? To yeah. actually get to know the person before yeah. you... Yeah. And, and some of it was, is there were veteran inspectors on staff, and you had to kind of weed through the noise from them, because a lot of them had history with these people. And the one guy said, what, what are your calls today? And I told him, and he said, oh, you got problems, the first one. And he said, yeah, you're going to get eaten alive by him. And so then I, I quickly just went to my boss and said, the background check was, you know, this is pre-internet. I said, hey, what do I need to know about this builder? And he goes, well, he's got a bite, but, you know, and he told me the story quickly. Wow. Part of that is, I mean, I wasn't perfect at being a building inspector, but for sure. You, you mentioned my name to some people. Um, they're going to say, uh, you know, he was hard-nosed. I mean, I, you try to do what you can, but you have a job to do. But I think it's, the relationship is a key thing. It's funny, like like this. I just went through last week. Did you? Yeah. So <laughs> we were getting a drain inspection. I wasn't going to be there. Our company, Columbia, who who does our concrete and drain, we have a new inspector. He's young. So far, he's been out. He's been great, you know. And and he actually came and said, "Look, I just I need to learn from you guys." And I said, "Hey, hey, you know what? That's perfect. that's great. That's this a great perfect, thing to say." Right? Yeah. So, anyways, he, uh, I guess, his um, supervisor said to him before he came out to our site. He goes, "Where are you going?" It's like you just said. <laughs> he says, "Where are you going today?" He goes, "Oh, I'm going over to Carrick Hall." And he goes, "To do what?" And he goes, um, "To uh, have a look at the drains." He goes, "Some company named Columbia." The guy goes, "Oh." Don't even bother going. They know exactly what they're doing, yeah. right? And yeah. I mean, I've known Vito for 30-some-odd years. He's yeah. like my age. And, and that's the way the city knows 
him. Relationships. Right? Yeah. But yeah. they know he doesn't cut any corners. He just, no. he does yeah. what he's supposed to do. Yeah. When I was hired in Cambridge here, they, they had what they called, you were called a super inspector, which meant you did building and plumbing code inspections. So it saved a trip. Right. To a house, mostly low-rise residential. Scared the willies out of me because I knew nothing about plumbing other than how to flush a toilet and, you know, right. the basics, the <laughs> basics, you know. And, and, uh, and so I, there was extensive training, but again, I wasn't a plumber. And one of, the, one of the companies that worked here, and they're still around, had excellent guys. And the one guy I got to know really well, and I, was, I bared my soul to him. I said, Tony, I said, I know nothing. Can you teach me? And it was basically a house. And so he was amazing with me. You know, he was. And he could have taken the approach like, well, what the heck? You know, like you're being paid to be, you're inspecting. But I said to him, I said, you have a, like, again, you have a great reputation. And and everybody said, you can trust this company. So, and he was amazing. He would show me, he said, now this is what you're going to find people cheating on. They're going to cheat on this. So you got to make sure you check this. And, and you know, what kinds of things are we talking about here? Well, the distance between uh, a trap and a vent, right? You know, the offsets that you have to put in a house. He said, sometimes the framers don't get this right and you got to cheat a little. The toilet flange, they want to get too far away from the stack, can't be stacked, vented, all, all kinds right. of stuff. And so that was really, really helpful. And, and I found, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I found that it was just, and I saw so when I became a, a supervisor years later, I, I relayed those to my inspector said, get to know these people. Yeah. Don't pretend to be an expert in something you're not. Yeah. Everybody's still going to school. Everybody. Yeah. yeah. Every day. Yeah. Every we're day. Still, Every I mean, new we're, job. We're still yeah. learning. I yeah. Mean, so there's a lot of that kind of, I wouldn't say insecurity, but a lot of the newer building officials were feeling that way when they were first arriving on these job sites oh, yeah. and, and discussing with a builder that they'd never worked with before. That's how they were coming onto the site. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and we're thinking otherwise. We're no, thinking that you're right. this tyrant to come to our site right. to shut us down or something. Right. And and I think that's the key. And so in Cambridge, we started it. But when I started as a... As, so I, I took a, a leap back into the private sector after four and a half years in Cambridge because I, I really hadn't finished what I wanted to do, but I wasn't sure I wanted to do that. I wanted to be in the construction industry. So right. I was a construction project manager for a large commercial developer in Waterloo. And worked there for four years and then had my career opportunities freed up. That's just a fancy way of saying I was got fired, got laid off. <laughs> can you imagine? You could work anywhere but here. Like anywhere. But you that can't work here. That was the 80s, here. right? That, well, that, good that, on that was actually the end of the 90s. The 80s. The, uh, no, sorry. Yes. End of the 80s. So, yeah, like 89, 90. So, yeah, two recessions hit me yeah. and reset me. I ended up bouncing back into code enforcement by default just through relationships I had. Kitchener needed somebody, and this uh, a guy I played football with in high school. He was the CBO, new CBO, and he said, "I really need someone. I want to. I want to groom somebody to be my manager of inspections. I'd really like you because you've got inspection experience." He had none, which was kind of funny. <laughs> and and, and we he's got, the boss. And I got hired as a plans examiner, so I took a big step back from what I had done. But it was an opportunity when I got hired there as an, a supervisor. I said to my boss, "I need autonomy on this, and this is what I need autonomy on." And I kind of you know, laid out the plan for him. We were able to hire some new guys. The older guys really, the inspectors didn't embrace me because mm-hmm. I was this young guy. And why am I, why am I their boss? So even in your office, there's mm-hmm. still this. Yeah. Because I didn't have the experience. Wow. I didn't have the experience. One guy was, uh, he, he was from Germany. He was a, a, tr- a skilled tradesman. He was a Mason and carpenter licensed both. And you know what? Over about a period of about two years, he and I became really tight and when we went to computerized building permits and laptops and vehicles, this guy couldn't sign on to email. 
and he and I spent time in the office together. And you know what? Unfortunately, he's not alive anymore. He passed away from cancer. But when I went to see him in the in Lasard House, in the in the hospice, he said to me, he said, I didn't like you. I said, I know. He said, but you know what? He said, you gain people's respect because you respect them. And I, that'll always stick with me. So What a great line. Yeah. 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 And he would just, he'd tell you exactly what, what he was thinking. And he was so good and so knowledgeable that we used him as a resource. And that's all he wanted. He wanted to be respected. So I, I found that with all the veteran guys is let them know that I don't know everything. We need everybody on the team. And some of you could bring a lot of expertise. The guy who thought he knew the most knew the least. <laughs> Yeah. And I had to it's gently show that him that case, I, I had to gently show him that you don't know your code. You got to get your code book out. So we had weekly training meetings. We'd hammer through the code. Yeah. So so I know that one of the biggest questions that always comes up from a lot of the listeners asking when we do get officials on the sites. Yep. Why is it that we get an official that picks on one little thing that's not really all that important? I guess in somebody's eyes. Yeah. Why does that happen? Yeah. Part of it is 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 just learning the art of prioritizing the problems because uh, back to the contractor who thought they were hiring out of kindergarten when he so we sort of settled things at the curb I thought I'm still going to go at this like I would normally (laughs) and so we get inside and he's following me around and I got to tell you tell your contractors do not follow the inspector around when you're doing inspections it's it's super intimidating if you stop to look at something it might just be you're thinking yeah, you know, that's all right. I and don't it, follow. I, I just hang in the vicinity. Yes. So if you've got a question, yes. instead there. of yelling, I could just answer right. it. Right. But yeah. some, some will right be right at your elbow and go, what are, oh, you, really? look, you, know, what are you looking at? And you're just saying nothing. Well, what were you, you know? So anyways, Don's following me around. And so I thought, you know what? I got to shake this guy because I was pretty intimidated by this guy. <laughs> so I get my tape measure out and I start measuring the distance between the fasteners on the floor sheeting. Oh. <laughs> and we used a marker back then so i start circling areas and he's going you gotta be kidding me you're, you're t- <laughs> then back off <laughs> and you know what he, they had done is i had worked in high school first you know, an uncle of mine was a home builder and i got to work from grade 8 to grade 12 with him concrete framing and i knew that he had tacked the flooring down and yeah. they were going to come back and final screw it once they had it, which a lot of guys do. And he yeah, thought I did do it after drywall. Yeah. Right? He, yeah. he thought I didn't know that. Right. <laughs> so I'm going, Holy crap. Like these nails are like, there's half the number of nails. you need here, you know? <laughs> So, so first um, issue. <laughs> yeah. So some inspectors will do that. We all kind of develop again over time, kind of our pet peeves. Our kind do of our, you think it's maybe that's what they're really confident on that yes. they know? Yes. And they just dwell on that one. Well, and, and I'll tell you, uh, being a manager, uh, the biggest thing was is that it's kind of like police, I'm going to say that, where they have, there's a perceived quota for number of traffic violations that they give. Now, oh. they, they'll deny that, but I do know some police officers. It's true. And it's true. And so some, they'll stop you for speeding and, you know, 14K over is the magic number and you're 16 or 15 and someone says, I'm writing you up. And you're going like, seriously? So it's the same with building inspection. It's, right. it's like you look at it and think, okay, so the, you know, the jack rafters on that hip aren't really cut as tight as they could be. You know, you can see the nails, which is good. You can count the nails, but you yeah. shouldn't be able to count the nails. That would be an example. You might say to them, you know what, next time, you know, maybe do this or that one in particular. Do you mind just putting a block at the bottom just to kind of tighten that up? You know, kind of work with them on that. But you're, no, you, you do develop and you have to always be resetting 
what we do. So what I did with my inspectors is, and they used to hate this, it felt like kindergarten, but I'd line up with a builder who was comfortable and we would all go out and do an inspection together independently and then talk about it so that I could sort of see who was picking on what. Right. Now, it's so busy right now. You don't have the luxury of doing some of that, but you know what? Taking time to reset as an inspector is so important because you do get locked in on certain things. Have you gone in Gold Star? Nothing? Yep. Really? Yep. How often does that happen? So what we did... When I, I started this, when I was inspection, uh, in, in inspections with model homes, like you've got, you know, they're building hundreds of the same yeah. house. So they might have three or four framing crews. Is I would set up a mock-up for each framing crew. So I'd say, okay, I want to know, so the site superintendent, I want to know when framing crew A is doing their first house. And I'd like to come out and have somebody there when I do my framing inspection. And the idea was, I said, it's a competition. The competition is... We have these framing deficiencies on this one. Let's say we have eight. The next one, we're going to have none. The next one, we have five. And the next one, you have none. No, you have three. But you eventually get to the point where the framers think it's a game. Like, it's, it's fun. It's a game, Because they right. know they're not going to come back in and do point load blocking or back nailing so on then, corners. Let me, or, let, me, let me ask you this. In subdivision, because I ran across this way back in the 80s when stuff was just flying up. Yep. Do you, as an inspector, when you see like what's happening Across over the there, right? Do you inspect every house? Because listening to what you're saying now, it's like, okay, get the models done, but the next 50, I don't need to go look at. No, when I see, we still inspect every house. So you still, you still do, go in, in huh? a yeah. subdivision, you'll do everyone yeah you, oh, you're supposed to do you everyone. have you have to yeah right and that was a pretty significant thing because there's liability attached to that so the only reason i say that because i was doing a, an interior reno way back on a house that was built in the 80s and we had to take out a wall a bearing wall mm -hmm. and put a beam in but there Did you was have a, a permit no we had a permit <laughs> and then there, so when we dun, opened dun, it up dun. there was a, a beam that was supposedly put in yeah at the time, and it was five, six inches away from the column. It never made it to the column. Oh, wow. So the only thing that was holding it up was yeah. the floor joists. Yeah. And they couldn't figure out, well, you know, Tim, we got this dip up in the floor. Maybe you can look at that <laughs> when you open the wall up. And then as soon as we open it up, we go, oh, <laughs> you're lucky solved. you didn't come down into the kitchen. Yeah. But how does that, like, that's what I mean. Like, no. clearly, well, it would stuff for, you know, Things were going up so fast, nobody even could keep up with it, right? Right. But it's easy to miss something like that. It, it, it's almost Is like... Is it? I don't know. I feel like you... Okay, don't you get visually desensitized where you walk in and you see framing, 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 mm -hmm. unless you really like fine-tooth comb going into every section? Yeah, but you it's easy to miss a hole like that. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm not saying it's right. I'm I, I would just like saying to it's... say structural stuff... Shouldn't should, should never be missed. Correct. And and sometimes you know could it 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 could, you know crap happens and and it does something like that should not have been missed. And and it was interesting because I was with the city of Kitchener for fourteen and a half years, so there's enough time there that some stuff got renovated or stuff that had been recently built and then renovated during my watch. And they'd say exactly that. How, like and we'd go back through and the framing got signed off. There were no notes or anything like that. It got missed. And and we'd never hide that. We'd say, well, that was that that wasn't right. That right. wasn't right. How do we fix it now? I'm thinking on that, the inspector might have thought that it ran into a, a joist. The joist was close enough to support, maybe, maybe. I, I, like I said, 
it shouldn't have happened, but... Uh, well, there's a number of people to blame <clears throat> in that situation, starting off with the tradesperson. Yeah, but also the framer. But, yeah, but, uh, but, but could it be their fault, or could it be maybe the material showed up and it was actually short? Yeah. And he been. was, or she was being told, install it. Yeah. So it could be the site super. It could be the, it keeps on trickling down, right. right? Yeah. And I think that that's a good point, Manny, is that like the, our, our industry, what's interesting is, especially the price of housing now, like, you know, a basic house is north of 600 grand, right? People expect it to be done in weeks. 19 weeks is yeah, what I've read. Weeks. And, and yet, you know, you go to buy a car and let's say it's a $40,000 car, right? It, people will take it for a test drive if it's used. They're going to take it to their brother-in-law as a mechanic. They're going to check it out. They're going to do this and that. In a house, I was always shocked that people didn't know they had painted wood windows. Like we had a builder come to town <laughs> back in the 90s, and it was high-end housing, and it was painted wooden windows. And these were the expensive houses. And I'd have people complain because I got all the complaints. And they mentioned building, came to Glen Good. Yeah. And I got them. And I said to the one lady, I said, well, did you not? go through the specs on the house. Oh, she said, there's so much to look at. And I'm just thinking, yeah, but you spent a lot of money. Yeah. And she said, well, who's going to paint this now? And I'm you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You bought it. Well, And she was going to try to sue the builder. And that's when I said, well, this is a civil matter. You'll have to talk to the builder, but I did phone, but it's probably in the specs. It probably does. Absolutely. Painted wood. It boils down to house maintenance. Come on. Yeah. Right. But you know, if the, you know, back then, if it was gold plated, um, you know, filler on the, uh, the whirlpool, the jacuzzi and all that was great. All the bling was there. All the bling. People didn't look at it that they had 10 year shingles on their house. That they had painted wood windows. It's they, true, man. Like, you know, like they, they don't. And I'll, I'll kitchens tell, and bathrooms, man. That's it. You know, now it's quartz and you know, does it have that? And I'm looking at it thinking, wow. Like I have always said that, right? You spend, let's just use the number $600,000 for a house. And you spend three grand on your roof. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like yeah. everything below that is. Protection. 597000 Yeah. yeah. Well, being folic- but let's yeah. let's cheap out on the roof. Right, I said, you know, <laughs> being follically challenged like I am, <laughs> covering the roof is important to me. I gotta have a hat on. So I, I've used that analogy when I was teaching students. I said, you know what? Like, if you're some of them go into design, you're designing something. Like, you want to make the exterior as robust as you can. Forget about what the code says. I would spend the most you could on the roof. Get a forty-year shingle, and I tell them always discount at fifty percent. So right. 40 years is 20 years. Because I said there's wear and tear and stuff. And windows, like you, you get the best well, window Well, also you direction, can. right? So yeah. sun and yeah. everything. Well, I got yeah. a, a roofer brought up a really good point to me recently. And I, I actually posted it on social media where there's no roofing inspection. Well, we could talk about that. Yeah, I want to <laughs> talk about that. Because you've got a lot of roofers who are for it. And you've got a lot of roofers who are against it. Yeah. But there's never, there's a framing, there's a plumbing, there's structure. There's all, but there's no roofing. And we talk about how... The roof is protecting your house, protecting the yeah. whole thing. There, Why no, is there no roofing inspection? Well, there's no siding or brick inspection either. There's no veneer. Yeah. So there's no cladding of veneer or anything inspection? No. So this goes back to the end of the 80s. If you remember, house prices were really spiking, 87, 88. And in, in Toronto, people were laying down big deposits for yeah. houses that were being built six or eight months later. And there was a lawsuit that hit the, hit the code enforcement industry. And I'm going to say it may have been Mississauga. It doesn't matter where it was. But this couple was trying to get out of the deal. And what they did is they hired a home inspector to come in and they, 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 well, they said to them, we have reason to believe that the brick ties aren't properly done on this house. 
the homeowner had observed the bricky doing the work, you know, and so they turned to the, you know, the, the, the municipality got, not got notified, you know, and they looked at each other and like nobody, like, how do you inspect that? You'd have you have to stand there. You it's have to stand there. You, and watch. Right. So you do, you know, you kind of go in for, you know, go in for the inspection, maybe a, like that's when you're doing plumbing, it helps because you're in the house and they're doing the cladding, you know, maybe. And you'd kind of glance and think, oh yeah, I know these brickies and, and, and so forth. Well, it turned out there were large sections of wall had no brick ties. Whoa. They basically sued the builder for the cost of ripping the brick down and putting it back up or release them from the deal and he released them from the deal. So someone else got this problem when they bought the house. Well, yeah, I don't know what ever happened to that, but boy, I'll tell you that shot of warning shot through our industry saying, well, what are you guys doing here? What are you guys doing there? And I can tell you in this, the Waterloo region here, we have a very good, tight group of enforcement people. The chief building officials from the local area get together uh, once a month I, I'm still a member of the OBOA chapter. Oh, yeah. um, I, they joke that I, there's certain things I can't listen to. Of course, I'm in the meeting for the whole thing. But, um, <laughs> because I, I, it, it's important that you talk to each other. And so that brought up the roofing. We talked about what else aren't we looking at? Well, roofing. Everybody says, well, you know, you're driving by. And I'm going, no, no. I said, my uncle actually taught me this back in the 70s, that the roofing manufacturers, the shingle manufacturers, actually, if you read the fine print, had always asked for some sort of membrane between the roof sheeting and the shingles. Right. Always. If you want to, you want to make yeah, tar a tar paper, you want to make a warranty claim, but nobody did it. Right. Like nobody did it. I mean, I put roofs First on three feet. That's it. Done. You know, the eaves protection. Yeah. So my uncle said like, nobody does it. So he said, so I can't do it because it's going to cost more. And I remember as a kid, I was just a teenager. I'm thinking, well, that doesn't seem right. We talked about the roofing inspection and said, well, how do you do that? And, and the answer is it just, there's no time for it. So it doesn't get done. Now, the eaves protection, a lot of inspectors are going to be looking for what's being done there for sure. But, um, but that's strictly just downspout and location and how far away from the foundation. Well, wow. it, no, actually, the eaves protection is the protection at the bottom of the roof, like the bottom three feet. So you're soft or, it. Oh, oh so no. Ju- okay, no, no. So you're just, that's all you're looking for. Yeah, that's all we're looking for. Because you know what? Eaves troughs aren't required by code. No. Eaves troughs are really? not. Really? No. 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 So why do we get some flack from the downspouts not being four feet away from the structure? Well, that's kind of a... <laughs> so we're we redirecting water now. Yeah, well, all and it says is the building code says that the the grade the, the, the grade right? must be sloped away from the building, and then yeah, drainage bylaws usually come in and say yeah. that downspouts, if you have them, have to be extended. Wow. Yeah. But I think I think there should be a roofing inspection. I, I don't disagree with that because yeah. it's in, it's very important. And to be honest, I can't tell you how many times roof vents don't get put in, or they're not cut through. The roofer yeah, yeah, lays them on the roof. They're just it's decorative. There, that's all yeah. it is. So, so what we did is we would poke our head up into the attic space on occupancy. Bathroom exhaust fans. It, to make sure the that the fans were connected and the roof vents were cleared. Well, that they're connected and they're insulated. Yes, yeah. yes. But I can't tell you. And I mean, we had people that uh, attics weren't insulated. At all. That the, the, the sub forgot it. Like they got, <laughs> you forget. Well, that. They, or part of it, they ran out of material, so they didn't come back and finish it. 
Yeah. You got to remember, though, subdivisions all piecework. It's right? just fast, so fast, fast, just, fast. Yeah. Right? Boom, boom, and boom, and boom. one site superintendent's required, you know, he's looking after, he or she's looking after two or three developments. They yeah. can't be in every house. So they're actually relying on the building inspector. So that's where this team thing comes from. Right. Is you really have to embrace that. And there's a trust thing on that. And so if I got like five or six or 10 occupancies in a the morning, there's no way. And, and getting a ladder up into, and why, why do contractors put their root attic access in a closet? <laughs> Are you kidding? I me? never understood it. Right on top of the shelf, which is yeah. like twelve inches deep, yeah. and your attic access is twenty right. inches wide. Right, and you got to start to delay yourself to get into right. that hole. So I actually, when I was inspector, two of the companies I worked with uh, knew that I did design work on the site, not where I worked. And I said, I asked the guy. I said, seriously, why are you doing that? He goes, Well, where do you put them in your house? I said, I put them right above the entrance door to the master bedroom. You don't even see it when you open the door. Yeah. You walk you don't. right underneath it. Yeah. But then when you come out, you go, huh. What was and that? And it's right there. And you can put a ladder up yep. because, again, contractors don't want to put a ladder up in a closet that's been painted. And you got to take the shelf out. And then you got to Houdini yourself up there. Yeah. Part of that is if you work together on that. Because you have to have our attic access. And yeah. the thing is, if you don't have it visible and the fire department has to get into it, they're either coming through the roof or yeah. they're going through the ceiling wherever they... <laughs> Yeah. Like wherever they're quick cut. What is the minimum arcs? size of that attic? It's basically in between two rafters. Yeah. That's the minimum. Yeah, it's like, I don't know, 16 or 18 by 22 or yeah, something Yeah, yeah, like that's that. what it is. And, and you know, one builder like I worked with, he said, you know, you have to insulate that attic hatch. Yeah, they'll and, throw on the styro right on it, like six inches, whatever. Right. This guy got smart. He said, you know, it's always a pain, you know, and how do you get the weather stripping on? So he went to a door manufacturer, insulate door manufacturer, and the cutout that they take out of the door when they put a window in, oh. he bought them, ripped them down, and then used magnetic weather stripping, so it sealed. But it. now they're now they're actually manufactured. That's what we use. Right. I think but we just go to back the then. Right. But back then, then yeah. what a great and we talk about green. Oh, well, the they, guys were using what is it? Particle wood that yeah. once it got painted, it swell. Yeah, yeah. Or or moisture got at it. Yeah, and it yeah, sag. yeah. And then they'd put bats on it with you know duct tape to hold <laughs> it. All it all falls. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Glenn. We got lots. I forgot to actually give. Wait, our I got one. I got a okay, question. Go. I got a question. <laughs> <laughs> Back, way back, when we did, when I did the show, we I did a show for this couple in Milton. They just bought the house. They were moving in, so they actually moved all their stuff in, but decided not to stay that night, and they went back to their parents' place. The guy who hooked up the air conditioner that same day, something happened, and place caught on fire. Oh, something serious. So we went and we had to redo the house, but the builder wouldn't cover it. He said they had taken possession already and uh, the insurance would have to go after the heating company, the uh, HVAC company. So again, there's, there's no inspection for, you know, any of that stuff, right? Hooking up your... Well, AC uh, no, you got stuff. mechanicals inspections. I mean, yeah, in the uh, if it was ele- if it was electrical, the that's the ESA, e- which has e- got e- nothing e- to do with nothing you guys. To do with us. No, so, but don't, but the AC, I mean HVAC, they always hook up their own little. Right. Yeah, so there's that gray area between ESA and the building where mechanical is allowed to hook up their own fourteen right. two and put the shutoff box at the unit. They're they're responsible for it at that point. Yeah, so, so it ESA out, came back. Went to the panel and then just so that that's not an ESA thing now. That becomes the mechanical trade. Yeah, yeah. and I would think that's something that 
they would have to have worked out with ESA. I, I used to know our regional manager in ESA. I got to know him really well. And we, in Kitchener, and I think a lot of municipalities do this, we had a, a verbal agreement that we wouldn't grant occupancy if we didn't see the ESA final sticker on the electrical panel. Right. That way we knew we weren't letting someone occupy without the electrical system. But that system. could have been. That could have been It there. could have been. And if... If ESA, that, I, I would toss that back between between ESA and the contractor. Yeah, you hear these stories and you just, like, you really feel bad for whoever's the victim in it. Yeah. What um, was yeah. the final outcome there? On Well, we ended up, I mean, we, I think. No, but yeah. what did the homeowner do? Did they end up? The insurance company yeah. went after the uh, yeah. agent. The I don't know what was the outcome because, you know, we finished it. I mean, they bought the house for 500 and something. We ended up doing $380,000 yeah. worth of work on a house yeah. that no one's ever lived in see the other twist with that is is that there's probably an open permit like when we when an inspector does an occupancy inspection it's not usually the final inspection no. and so if you have an open permit that's actually makes it messy we've had floods and stuff like that happen but if it's not an it's not a closed permit that permit's still open so the contractor's still at the show as we used to call it still a partner in this and the insurance companies would battle that out. Yeah. Usually, usually when you get an occupancy, the open part is the outside. Yes. Right? Yeah. But you're still a week away, even though you do your final walkthrough, you're a week away from officially sending off the closed permit. Or is it longer than a oh, week? Oh, it's longer than that. Oh, it's longer than a week? I mean, sometimes week? it takes... Like, we had, we had 4,800 open per permits when I took over as manager because it's exterior stuff. Now, we had a protocol we set in place to try to clean that up because you really don't want an inspector showing years up five years, years later right. and there's a pool and a deck. And a <laughs> well, and see, but that's where the gray power. area is because even if they took occupancy and they walked in and they w were moved into the house, it's still an open permit. Yeah. So, and I learned that also if it's a renovated house, you technically don't need to get an occupancy. Is that correct? Because they were living in that dwelling before and you renovated it and they can move in at any time, even though that there's no railings. This is what a, a Toronto building inspector told me. Even though there's no railings and there's like things are not finalized, it's still their dwelling. It's not new construction. If it was new construction. It makes sense because some people live through it. Yes. Yeah. It's, if I understand it, I have another, built another relationship with the Ministry of Labor because that's another key player. And their response to that is it's a construction site. And all safety measures have to be in place for anybody accessing the construction site. So if you're living in the construction site, there's liability there. So Tell we, that to the homeowners walking in with stilettos and open-toed sandals and the yeah. kids walking around with Crocs. Tell yeah. that to them. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and all I'm saying is part of that would be is that we did this with a lot of our clients, our builders. We disagree. We need to cover our liability here. So what are we going to do? Put some temporary guards up. You got to, yeah, people are going to walk through it. I mean... This time of year always sends chills up my spine because the schools would do renovations and they wouldn't be done. And now they want to build a, a scaffolding tunnel to get Johnny and Sally in the front doors. Right. And they're walking through a construction site. Yeah, that's dangerous. So there's, this happens a lot. And so you have to use some common sense. So I would agree if it's your own house and it's being renovated, you are choosing to put yourself in that situation. Totally. But you're asking for common sense again. But. Exactly. <laughs> and, and you know, the, the unfortunate thing, though, is is people will throw the municipality under the bus every yeah. chance they have, <laughs> and even, and, 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 you know, the contractor or not, because the municipality is the deep pocket. They are the ones that have the, hold the most liability. So that's why you're going to find building officials are going to be a little hesitant 
to play Mr. or Ms. Nice Guy with you if they feel there's liability exposure for the municipality. Yeah. And, if and they, rightfully so. I mean, otherwise it's negligence. Yeah, it's, it, it is. is. It's it, totally. Yeah. Okay, so I totally forgot. We're at Waddell Engineering to yeah. begin with. So they're going to be on another show that we're doing today yeah. that everybody knows about this. Do you want me to give up your email? Do you want people to reach out to you or no? Sure. It's totally up to you, man. Yeah. Like I definitely, because I'm enjoying this, Jim. You're enjoying me. Yeah, like we just no. met and we just got talking. I wish all building officials were like you. Yeah, well, I'm an ex-building official, CC. So so. <laughs> I've calmed down now. I've, calm see, down. Manny, I've lost my edge. I've gotten soft. I've so gotten soft. I've gained 40 pounds you, and I've gotten you soft. you being soft. Huh? So Glenn Good we're talking to. Uh, reach out to him at glenngood at rogers.com. That's it. I've got some questions that I want to bring up that people have just... Yep. When I came here, I did a story. At Elliot's Trusted Trades, he's asking... Many interested code compliance show coming up. Okay, so my question is when deviating from code, all right? I had certain scenario where building a basement where the ceiling height under the main beam and ductwork was six foot four. So after we finished the project, it was roughly six foot three. That scenario, the client did not have the budget available to sink the beam or underpin it or relocate the HVAC. I found a lot of resistance from the building department. I think a discussion on how to approach something like that with an inspector early on would be beneficial as though all through the Cambridge area, he's actually from here, uh, 1950s bungalows, this is what's typical. Yeah. I've done jobs in Toronto where we had the same situation. We were lucky enough to put the invisible beam in there and we had to structurally hold both sides and then put it up and we gained the, you know, the seven and a quarter inches. Yeah. But even walking down the steps, that the stairs, we never changed them. And sure enough, we're not meeting six foot eight there. Yeah. And so, I mean, he signs off on it, the inspector. But, I mean, this is something that you're going to potentially hit your head if you're above... Five nine or whatever. Yeah. Regarding the code, I guess there's a lot of grandfathering going in and, and what we touch and what we not right. touch. Right. That's how it works, right? Yeah. Basically, um, part 11 of the building code governs any building five years or older. And so in an existing situation like that, so I want to give you two scenarios. One would be is it's going to be a, a rec room. It's going to be a family room for the occupant, right? It's all part of the same suite. It's a single family dwelling. They want to use the basement. Maybe the kid's going to be down there. There is minimum height clearance that you need and a lot of times it's not there most municipalities will use some discretion there if it's ancillary space to the house so it's just extra space to the house there's a lot of leniency minimize the reduction in headroom get the drywall tight to the other side of the beam i had one guy he butted the drywall up to the beam and painted it a bright color he just thought it would be cool to highlight that so you know <laughs> he didn't lose half an inch we often would look at that and say yeah, the headroom at the stair isn't right, but it's an existing condition and it's ancillary to the main use. If there's a bedroom down there, again, for the single family dwelling, now it's different in that it's a means of egress, an emergency exit. The code requires that there be a secondary, like a, a window, an operable window. 10 square feet. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it, that's a big. So if they want to put a bedroom down there, if you put the egress window in the bedroom, that means you don't have to run out across the main room, hit your head on the beam to get up the steps and whack your head on the low head and the stairs. We would say that's a wash. We'd say, you know what? You can get out safely by using the window, and that's the preferred way to go out anyway. But you would still need a step of some sort to get to that egress window. So, yeah, and the code, ironically, doesn't require that. That's what I'm asking. It doesn't require a, no. a, a, it, it says a window. The, the minimum sill height to that required egress window is not regulated. There's no minimum, 
So it can be up high. I've seen Olympic athletes have a hard time getting yeah. that high. Like, I mean, we need I a just, ladder we there. We just went through that I last know. year. Yeah. I know. So what we would do in a case like that is, is, again, appeal to the contractor and talk to the client and say, you know what? You have to get out that window somehow. Who's going to be down here? We're suggesting that you provide something other than just the bed against the wall right. in the event. Because if somebody's got to get out there, like, how do you do that? And if it's a young child or something like that, you know, you kind of develop that scenario and they would do it because we'd be up front. Here's, here's a point. A building official has to state when he or she is at the max of the code. And this happens a lot where I think there's good things to do. And if I say to you, Manny, you know what? You're going to put a little short, steep set of stairs there for me because you got to be able to get out. Because I'm your building official, you're going to assume I have the authority to make you do that. Unless I tell you, it's true. Huh? You know what? The code is silent on this. I am horrified by that. But I'm suggesting we need to do something there to cover it off. But you know what? I can't write an order to, compl to comply and make you do that. Because it conflicts with the code. Well, it, it, it goes beyond the code. Yeah. And you cannot do that. I cannot. You can exceed the code as a contractor. You can say morally, I'm never putting a bedroom in the basement with an egress window without a flip down ladder, something. I've had plenty of building officials, inspectors tell me that it's not in the code. No, so you don't have to do it. You don't have to do that's it. That's correct. You don't have a to do A single it. family dwelling. Yeah, you do not have yeah. to do it. That's the code answer. But if you have a, I'm your buddy, we've known each other, you've seen my job so many times, just a moral conversation, mm -hmm. and you make a recommendation, I'm going to feel obliged to. But you, you know what? You get the pushback from the client. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, you would simply say, like, like, as long as the inspector has said, I will pass this without anything there, then you're free to decide whether you're going to do anything. If you want to do something after the fact. But you know what? When we're sitting face to, side by side at a coroner's inquest and poor, poor grandma <laughs> True. Died, died of smoke inhalation. I'm the schluck that has to say, well, the code said didn't have to do that. And right. you're going to say, well, the client didn't have the budget for that. And we're all going to look at the, the... And we're both wrong. We're both wrong. And you know what? I had the misfortune of going to two coroner's inquests and felt like the biggest heel by just parroting back what the code said. Battery-operated smoke detectors are allowed. Three kids died in a fire. That's a yeah, whole other like, thing now. Yeah. I mean, they're at least improving them now. Yeah. I still don't agree with the strobe light because if you have issues with strobes... Now you've created another problem yep. for elderly people, right? Or even just people in yep. general. Yep. So, I mean, I know that we've always talked about the code being a glass full on the edge of a table. That's the building code. Correct. And we want to move that glass to the center of the table so then there's no fear. Why can't we just step up the code? Why can't we? Is it too expensive? Are we going to make the homes too expensive? I don't know. And, you know, the Toronto Home Builders Association, thank goodness, has a very strong voice with Municipal Affairs and Housing Building Code Branch. And they have affected a lot of good changes over the code. They've done a couple where they've, they've relaxed things that I, was, I thought was important. And the example is the uh, drainage layer on foundations. When that was first introduced, that was the best thing that could have happened. They, they revolted and had the ministry retract it for about three years and then they put it back in. Because there was a significant decrease in the number of foundation leaks once you have that on. So there's an example where an organization can actually affect change and say, you know what, this is ridiculous. And personally, where I think the municipalities and more importantly, the province of Ontario is really promoting intensification of our existing housing stock, 
basements are going to become more and more habitable space. Yeah. And I think, I would agree, I think there should be a, a, some sort of means of egress to get out. In other words, up to that. Well, I mean, basement cell. apartments are such a, a common thing yeah. now because people want that income. Yep. But then when you tell them, I've had two th- times this year, Jim, like twice I've spoken to clients I wanted to do a proper basement apartment for the income purpose, right? And I said, are we going to go legal? And they just said, well, what exactly does that mean? <laughs> and then I start talking about fire and sound yeah. and all those issues and egress and all this other stuff. And all of a sudden they're like, no. That's just going to kill our budget. We're not going to do that. So once you make that a a legal apartment, that all changes. Completely. Right? The egress. You have to have. Well, you have to have a a, a proper egress facility. It's no longer just a single family dwelling. That's correct. Here it is. It's another structure. Right. And that's where the fire and sound. And then I recently learned that it's, um, you can use the same HVAC system now. Yep. As long as it's separated or zoned or something like that, where you're feeding the one basement apartment and then you're feeding the other house, yeah. but you're not transferring their air from the two units. Yeah, it's kind of complicated. There's a gray area to in, this. In, 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 a, in a nutshell, an existing house, if it's renovated, you can share a heating system, but you have to put a smoke duct detector in the supply or return yes. air at that interlocks and shuts the fan down so you don't pump smoke through. The so big, it's a damper, right? That yeah. Clothes it, it. You no, know, it actually just shuts the system down. Completely. Yeah. Uh. Turns the fan off. So you still have conduits, the ductwork, to distribute smoke. The problem with that is, I, again, as a building official, I've got lots of complaints. Uh, odor transfer, you know, like, I mean. You know, That's the biggest one. And pot, pot smell. Yeah. Like and everyone's legal. So, so now if you've got a tenant and they're smoking, yeah. last thing yeah. you want is be watching, you know, Disney Plus and all of a sudden I smell weed and yeah. I got Doritos on my mind. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, the, the, you don't want that. <laughs> no. Jimmy and Billy, go get some Doritos. Yeah, Daddy's right. feeling a little that's hungry right yeah. now. No, there's a lot of rules that I agree and I disagree with it. Are there ways of making the basement apartments, I guess, easier? But then you go back to the corners thing. Yeah. You don't want anybody no. to... And the thing with it is, is, is I'd, I had this conversation. As long as I was a building official, I mean, they're looking at you. You got the stirring spoon in your hand. You're stirring the Kool-Aid. You know, you're trying to get everybody to drink it. You want, you want everybody to believe what you're saying. When I stepped away from that, became a teacher and, and code consultant, I'd say to people, you know what? Like, forget about the code. You are on the hook liability-wise because you're receiving compensation for the shelter you're providing that party. And you know what? I don't care what rules there are. They could slip and fall on your sidewalk. And guess what? You better have your home insurance liability pumped way up. Oh, that's too expensive. I'm just telling you, if you want to play the game of landlord, you better be playing it above board. Yeah. We had lots of people. You know what? We joked about this. I remember when I first started Kitchener, you know, you kind of get in this, what's going on? And we tracked. I said, how many basement renovation permits do we issue a year? My counterpart in, in the plans examination said, well, I don't know. I said, well, can you find that out? Because I said, I'm curious. We had two. 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 In 12 <laughs> months. Two. And, and I pity those people. You know, if I encountered them at the counter, I'd say, you know what? You need to go away. Because yeah. <laughs> the other 99.97% aren't doing it. Like, they're <laughs> no. like, so the thing is, if you're just doing your own rec room or whatever, no problem. If you're putting a bedroom in, technically you need it. Yep. And a lot of municipalities, the, the book answer is you need a permit because it's material alteration. You, you are finishing the basement. What I am surprised with, and I've talked to a lot of home builders, is why don't they prep a package in a new house that it could be an add-on to the single-family dwelling that preps it for a rental unit. Preps That's a great idea. Preps it. 
What a great idea. Because if you have the basic infrastructure in there already, you've already got your mortgage approved in that, to finish it, bring Manny in or you know, yourself, Jim, to finish it, it's a piece of cake. It's roughed in, step ready to by go. step. All the things right. that you should be. So Sally and I, you know, we can. We're white knuckled. We got a seven hundred thousand dollar mortgage. <laughs> I just I cringe at the debt load these people carry. That's a low mortgage. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and, and and and, uh, and and then all of a sudden we think, oh crap! You know, we want to start a family, or someone loses a job. We got to get someone in the basement, and they get me to come in and do a. Can you do it for five grand? No. How about ten? Oh, yeah. If we go legal, it's going to be thirty. And you go, oh. We are putting people at risk. Yeah. And you look at it and think, like, seriously, if you get sued on this, you're losing everything. You might go to jail. I, I don't want to jab at the TV shows, but that's what bothered me from day one from one particular show where it never discussed the real numbers behind right. a legal basement apartment. Right. And that bothered the hell out of me because yeah. I've had those conversations with clients that want that because they want that money. I get it. Like you could rent out a space for twelve, thirteen, even fifteen hundred dollars a month, and that's a good chunk of change going towards your mortgage. But you gotta spend, like let's be realistic, for a decent sized basement apartment, you gotta spend a hundred grand. Mm-hmm. To do it properly, yep. to do everything properly. Yep. And that was never presented in any of these fantasy TV shows. And that's why I had a problem with it. Part of it is, is that I think it's the whole notion. You got to get past the 1500 bucks a month. You go, oh, shoot, that's awesome. It's more than that. It's what do you have to do to get that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's not a matter of, you know, everybody said, you know, something about, you know, you kind of put it to the man, so to speak. I didn't get a permit. You know, I, I get people saying that. Who's the man? Because we had a female mayor, you know. <laughs> but, you know, they somehow, and I'd say, you didn't get away with anything. If something happens here, you're on the hook. You can't come back to the building official. Like, if you got a permit, you, you can come back to the building official and go, what the hey? Like you passed this and like you've got some, you, you got a partner there, you know? What, what's the number one reason why people, I'm assuming it's mostly homeowners, don't want to do permits? A lot of them are afraid of the unknown. Like they don't know what they don't know. They think they're going to be, have things in, 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 you know, imposed on them that they don't want. Which means cost. Cost. And I'd say to them, well, don't you want to know that it's right? And I've told more homeowners, see, you only heard from them when the, the, the contractor goes sideways on them. Right. Took the 15 grand deposit and never shows up. And now they expect you to be their advocate and kind of go after them and whatever. Or they have contractual issues or like that. I'd say to homeowners, like a building permit is the cheapest insurance policy you can I buy. I tell them that all the time. Like seriously. Right. I don't care what you pay for it. A, a, a lawyer is going to charge you three, four hundred dollars an hour. The scheme of things, man. Permits you don't know? cost a lot of money. Glenn Good Building Code Consulting. You don't even want to know what my hourly rate is. <laughs> Larry Waddell does. <laughs> uh, he knows uh, it exactly. He knows exactly. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, it, it it just seems like they're not giving a lot of thought to it. So in Kitchener, we started something that helped with the builders and the designers. We would have workshops, and they still do this spring and fall on new code stuff problems we're seeing in the field we'd ask for feedback from them permits are always taking too long like so i jab my counterpart because we were inspections we were always the good guys you know and that helped but the homeowner they just how do they get informed on this so i just think it's a partnership thing and i just am waiting for a renovator or a new home builder to develop an info package that's understandable. I love that, that. That you could market. And you know what? To be honest, this is a passion of mine. I would do that pro bono. 
be the code person to back it up. Because people are thinking the contractor, you're just you're just padding this, Manny, because you need a new boat. All right, <laughs> right, yeah. And you probably need a new I boat. Don't, I don't like the water. Okay. I need a new bike. You need a new bike. <laughs> I need a new bike, yeah. But you know what I'm saying? Like, there's distrust there. Yeah. But if they knew that straight up, there could be this income potential, but it's going to take this capital investment... I can't tell you how many people I've told. My wife and I, we bought a duplex back when we were first married. Best thing we could have. It doubled in price, but we made sure it met code. I was a building official at the time. I did stuff. I contractors say, why are you doing this? I said, because it's code and, and this and that. Because I have to. When, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. When we sold that, I have a clear conscience. That thing, yeah. that thing met code. And I could market it that way. I can't tell you how many times I did home inspections for years, years before real estate agents thought it was good because they didn't want you coming in originally. No. Oh, no. And then it became vogue to have a home inspector. How many times did home inspections? It's a duplex, triplex, fourplex. Nothing's legal. Like, nothing is legal. I'd say to my client, like, you're going to have to get a contractor to come in and fix this if you want to legally do it. Well, they've been doing... I know. What I'm saying is that the unthinkable happens. So it's this sort of game of Russian roulette that I see people willing to play and if contractors play along and I realize you got to put food on your table but there are rules out there and if something happens it's and, and, and this is just a feeding frenzy for the lawyers it's the bill it's the bill when we present the real bill that's attached to that yeah the clients just shut us down yeah they just shut us down I just he had a second question here this is Elliot's trusted trade so the water heater mixing valve I actually wanted to talk to you about this yep. right so I'm not a fan of the mixing valve myself and I'm not a fan of the heat recovery stack as well right every basement or bathroom with a permit usually means this mixing valve is inspected and asked for us I've had clients literally forced to put a mixing valve on their hot water tank for a bathroom remodel two months later asked me to have the plumber remove it I'm the water's not Jim, hot enough. I've never heard that have you ever heard that happen no that never happens <laughs> Fast forward three years, and now we have uh, completed a basement rental for them. Well, we now need a mixing valve on the hot water tank to pass. We took it off, and we got to put it back on. This, to me, shouldn't be enforced by the building department, but instead maybe on these hot water tank companies. Question, would it be the situation like that? Obviously, reinstalling it is just a waste of time and money, as the homeowner will have to remove it. The homeowner's opinion is that he doesn't want to get permits moving forward, mostly because of this and other issues, cost and timeline. So it's a typical story over and over. I was told the mixing valve is required because of the uh, algae that's built up in the hot water tank has to be killed at a certain temperature, but we can't bring that water out because it'll scold us. But my argument is that when you get a client who signs off on thermostatic valves on all the showers, why do we need a mixing valve at the source? Mm -hmm. Because it's code. Mm -hmm. And then we have the heat recovery stack. Is the heat recovery stack still in the code? Mm -hmm. Or I thought we were going to get rid of it. I thought it was going. Yeah, it's supposed to be going. Currently, it's still there. And the reason it's going to go is, I'll just be blunt. It doesn't uh, do anything. It, it doesn't do anything. And everybody knew that, to yes. be honest. We had a hotel in Kitchener. But somebody's brother connected to the premier that actually fabricated and <laughs> sold it and made a lot of money. Wink, wink, wink. Yeah. 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 We, had, we had a hotel in Kitchener. This goes back to the 90s, mid-90s, who got onto this idea that they were going to put lengths of pipe in with copper wrapped in the same thing on their showers. It makes sense in a hotel, right? Well, the return was like minimal. Eight cents. Like, it was like, it was brutal. Because there's no way, I mean... It, it, it works it, if it's right underneath the shower. Absolutely. It works. Absolutely. But nobody but, puts it there. No, 
and, 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 and it's hard to get it in there. You can't retrofit. Like it's, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things where the code is kind of a trial area for some things. And that's one I would say the mixing valve thing is the big thing is this is, and, and I'm going to bore you, but like there was a, a family in BC. This is the construction life. We never get bored. Yeah. But <laughs> it, there was a family in BC. Uh, the story was they went on a four month holiday. I didn't have parents like that. Did you have parents like that? I didn't have parents. Four like month Four, holiday. Yeah. Was and that when you were in without the school? kids or with, with the kids? With the kids. <laughs> <laughs> no, with the kids. Jim, stay with me. Stay with me. Look at me. Look at me, Jeff. Start to glaze over. Um, uh, the, but they went away and they came back. And what happened was their hot water tank they had turned down when they left. And when they came back, they turned it back on. And everybody had a shower. Uh, the father and I believe both kids died of Legionnaires' disease. They inhaled the fungus or whatever, and they died. And there was a huge, huge, this is, this is back, I'm going to say in the 90s, huge thing that went across the whole construction industry across the country. Mm. And this, this brought up the idea. And then I tell him my dad this, and he's a retired contractor, you know, agricultural stuff. And he said, oh, we go to Florida. I turn my hot water tank down all the time. I said, dad, dad, yeah, okay, if you do that, then run the water when you get home. That's all they would have had to do. Just so, run it for a period of time? Yeah, to clean it out. And, uh, and so that's when this hit the national code and then came into you know province the province of ontario sort of adopted that and so i know a lot of people that's a big issue with them personally i think it's the same thing hot water tanks you could always tamper with them people would do that it, it's like if it's set right and you got temperature control temperature and balance uh, temperature and, and uh, balancing valves at the showers which you have to i don't think it's a problem i really don't but but we won't get approved if you put no, thermostatics. No, at, you, you, you have to put it in. Yeah. You have to put it in. Yeah, that's the thing about it. So there's no way around What's that. What's the max temperature? It's 104 yeah. is what it's supposed to come out at. I've met plenty of ladies that would totally love 140. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. they, they love it hot, right? Yeah. So, but I mean, by code, yeah, 104 is what it is, right? I mean, I had a custom home builder who put booster, small booster uh, hot water heaters in the main bathroom to boost the water temperature there. So it's downstream of the... Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. We don't need a mixing valve if, it, if it's an on-demand. Is that right? That's correct. Because you're not settling water. Right. I have one of those in my house. Yeah. And, and to be honest, I was kind of excited. Uh, we've I've designed and built a bunch of houses. Disappointed, aren't you? Eh? Yeah. Well, and we bought this one. My my wife said we need to get out of the big house. We, had, <laughs> we bought this bungalow and had an on-demand hot water tank. They suck. They do. They suck. And you know what? Where I live, and I won't tell you because I'll incriminate our municipality. And this show is brought to you by every manufacturer of hot water on demand systems. <laughs> the, the the thing with it is, you got to run so much water uh -huh. to get hot water. Uh -huh. And where I live, your sewer charge is based on your water usage. Yeah. So I, I, I I'm trying crazy. to figure out. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how do I actually calculate what this is costing me? Yeah, the two of us don't need a hot water tank cycling all day when we're not using it, right? Because it's just two of us. But if I got to run the water for who knows, like, you know. So that's the thing about construction is like, you're trying to make these products or do these techniques that are supposed to help you save money, but they're actually costing more money yep. by doing that, right? Yep. So I don't, I don't get it sometimes, but yeah, you, every well, minute. you use a gas hot water here, it's far more efficient than a. Right, it but, is. You, but you are heating that, that water continuously. Yeah. Even though you're not using it, you're continuously heating it. Absolutely. Which is consumption of power. Absolutely. And then there's the also, that you bring up that whole thing about him and, and the family dying. That's how the heated floors 
came into effect with ESA. And now you've got tilers waiting for ESA to come in to sign off on the actual calculations that were calculated on that wire before it's embedded into the mix and then after it's installed with the tile, yep. which is more delays. And that is as a result from what I've been told, it was an elderly gentleman who actually slipped and the person who installed the tile never put the sensor in there and that temperature of that floor went like way through the roof and he actually burned himself on the floor because he couldn't get up. And then they started implementing all this stuff, yep. which delays construction, which means it delays construction. But for the homeowners, it charges construction. Have, now, you, have you had your electrician say uh, the tile installer installed that? It's not mine. Yeah. They, and they have every right to say that. Right. Because I the, did not install it. But the problem is that electricians are not jumping to do this. They, they, they are almost insulted that it's on their grocery list now to do, but it's part of ESA. ESA has to approve this, which means it's the electrician. So what do we do? See that we got, we have had to have our tile guy phone ESA and get it done. But that's not right. I know it's not right. <laughs> it's not right. Well, in, in a lot of cases, the, yeah, it's like if you have a building, open building permit, Manny hit, took out the permit and I get the client, I get the homeowner phoning for an inspection that created a problem for us because we didn't a want to waste our time our relationship was with the contractor not the homeowner right and in some cases i got caught on this personally the homeowner wanted to meet me there because they had some issues with the contractor's work and so they but so that's they, not your issue no but they made it sound like it was a phone like i kind of got sucked in on it i assumed oh. the builder was going to be there and he wasn't so you have to be careful as a building official that you are doing your job, but not getting in the middle of a contractual, like right. what you're talking about here. Like, so whether it's the tiler or whether it's the contractor, here's the biggest issue I think I see with low rise residential. Commercial's not, not like not better, bad, right. but there's, there's a bigger team and there's higher expectations of each member of the team. And they have like weekly job meetings. I'm talking big buildings, right? Yeah. It's not perfect. But I can tell you, having moved from residential low-rise inspections to high, like to, to the, the part three stuff, the big stuff, it was actually an easier job to stay connected because there were so many vested people Parties. around the table. Like, yeah. you know, like the mechanical was already saying, look, we're going to have fire stopping issues here because, you know, they didn't leave a big enough hole. We got to whack holes through the concrete block. How big a hole can we go? Oh, okay. So you'd have that. In low-rise, it's just get her done. Just yeah, get her done. You is. got 19 even, even weeks. Even from the contractor's side. You know, doing commercial is so much easier, and I yeah. think, and I think it's because you're not dealing with time, money, and emotion, right? You're yeah. you're dealing with a corporation that just get the doors open so we can start making money, yeah. and that's it. Yeah, like there's no. I mean, I've seen it from the other side where it gets tight. It gets real tight. Projects where the you know pre-sales sales went well, and now nothing's selling, and right. you know now they're trying to figure out how do they you know. <laughs> How do they, yeah. you know, save save money? Um, some of the procurement options that are being used now in the larger buildings, where it's more a collaborative team, where everybody's an equal player in it, including the contractor. I love those. Like you know, and I because everybody's got skin in the game. Yeah, exactly. And then you're not having the such contract, a nice utopia. Yeah, yeah, and you're not having the contractor thinking, you know, the designer. They don't have a clue what they're doing. They're actually at the table as the designs being yeah. done and saying, "I can't do that. This is a better way of doing that." In low rise, we just don't have that, and I, it, the client, like the, is actually the problem. 
We See, expect we, the product been so fast. That. that was Glenn Good saying that, not Jim or Manny. As <laughs> no, much as we, Jim or Manny we've, has said that. <laughs> we've been pushing that more and more when we, you know, when uh, a potential client comes into our office and they haven't picked designer, architect, anybody. And, and we really push that, look, whoever you hire, I think you should hire the contractor first. Then you look for the designer or you look for the architect. Go with the, go with the team yep. because you just said it yep. like, you know, as we're designing the house, you know, I could say, Hey, you know what, that that's not going to work. Or maybe we could do it this way. It's going to be less expensive. Yeah. My consulting business, that's exactly what I'm seeing more of is that I'll ask the question. I'll say, well, what's the contractor saying in this? Oh, well, because I'm getting it from the architect or the engineer or whatever, you know? and and not to I'm not I'm not patting you guys in the back. That's just my reality is that the person who has to make it happen needs to be part of the solution. Like, how do we fix this? How do we get here? Like, you know, well, it doesn't really matter how we got here. How do we fix it? But they will have the experience on how to potentially solve that. Right. And and I'd say this. I would say over the last 15, 20 years, exponentially, the code knowledge in contractors has gone up significantly. It has. I think as we get, you know, younger generation coming in, they understand that there's rules and stuff like that. And it's important to do that because in a lot of cases, if you have started out behind the code eight ball, so to speak, it's hard to get out of that. You, you got to yeah. make sure you meet code. I, I lost it. I had an article from the 90s, big one page in the Toronto Star that said it was a, it was a builder and they're still around, big developer, and said, you know, introducing new models and all their, you know, bullet points. And the second one is it meets the Ontario building code. Well, and I look at it like, <laughs> wait a minute, that's a given. It's supposed to. It's important, though. So I kept it. I used note. to use it at trading sessions. Say, look, somebody got to them. So you're saying all the other ones don't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, don't buy it. Phase. So maybe you got to look at it. That guy was pretty smart. That's right. <laughs> this is phase two. If you bought in phase one, I, yeah, that's a bad it's a idea. Crap shoot. <laughs> Glenn, I got another question here. Just want to yeah. ask you some yeah. uh, from at Pepe. So at Pepe underscore and underscore Ty. Uh, hey, Manny, I hope the family's all well, everything cool. Yeah, great. OBC and the continuing uh, of the air barrier system for <laughs> our home. Question asked to Terry on rep during recent inspection visit. What, where is the primary exterior air barrier system used in our home? Is it uh, the WRB or the OSB sheathing, rigid foam, etc.? As noted on several occasions, there is no continuing... Continuity, sorry, continuity in any of these elements for our build. There are noticeable holes, open ends in the WRB, gaps in the OSB, and rigid foam drying, framing, not taped at edges, etc. You know, we've seen this uh, in winters experiencing wind washing of insulation and cavities of walls, as well as thermal bridging at studs. This is a whole, this is a whole can <laughs> of worms. I mean, I, and I know we talk, this is basically what I've learned over the years is that, um, so they just want to ask, how can we escalate if through Terion being dragged on for three plus years? How do we avoid all these deficiencies? I've always told clients, and I'm sure Jim, you've done the same thing, is that it's an air barrier system, mm -hmm. which involves several trades to be a part of that system. If one drops the ball, mm -hmm. then the system starts to fail. Yep. What are your thoughts on that question there? What I'd like to start off with on this is that you look at commercial buildings, you'll never find six mil poly on a commercial building. True. Ever. Dun, dun, Ever. Dun. And the reason is they put an exterior air barrier on the building. And what that means is, just imagine you put a, a, an airtight membrane. 
you seal it completely, and then you control the air system inside. If you stop air from being able to move through a system, a wall system or roof system, you have now addressed the issue of vapor transfer. Now the, the dew point still has to be calculated and there's calculations you do for that. In low rise construction, the reason they, the ministry is telling us this, they haven't done that, is it's execution. It's, it's, there's too many openings on the building envelope, it's too hard to do. You have interior ceilings that don't abut, you know, it's hard to seal that at the, at the ceiling level. So that's where they came up with the idea of using a VB, a vapor barrier, air barrier system. And what I don't like about that is it's got to be 100%. That means caulking and sealing every, every bit of that 6 mil poly, and it, you just can't. Joists all yeah. around. And, Joists. And, and if yeah. you miss one spot, they claim on the average house, it will expire 1,000 liters of water in the first year it's built. Crazy. So if you have a small hole somewhere, all that water is leaving or going into your building structure. 1,000 liters? Yeah, like concrete drying out, like, you know, total. Now you get it, you know, it dries out. You build this time of year, it's drying out. But yeah. look in the middle of winter, there's three inches of ice in the basement. You know? It stays moist for a while. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like a tropical rainforest. So yeah. even if that's an exaggeration, even if it's 500 liters, that's a lot of Or moisture. the homeowners that are so quick to drywall. Right. When... Right. Studs are wet. Yeah. Um, all of that. So if you go with that, the problem is, is you're right. You have to have proper transition between house wrap... And at the rim joist space, and my preferred way is exterior air barrier. Like the last house we built, but I was coordinating with the framer, and I did it with the siding and the brick layer. I said everything's got to be an electrician. Everything had to be respected. All the outlets had to be. What were you guys putting on the outside? Can I ask? Uh, we had siding and stone. Okay. No, but uh, before that, uh, over oh, the, the sheathing. A, a Tyvek or tie part. Okay, uh, and it was properly sealed. Yeah, twelve foot rolls. Real pain in the butt to put on, and we put it on after it was framed, not as the walls were set up. And I told the framer up front, I'm willing to pay for whatever crew we need, but we're going to wrap it like a present. And then you can do it properly. You can seal around the windows. You taped everything. And I'll tell you what, that, that I didn't have it tested, but that house was nice and tight. Then on the inside, what I did was at the transition points or any break points, then I would pay attention to that. But my vapor barrier did not have to be sealed and all of those things. It didn't have to be perfect. It didn't have to be perfect. Because you had a continuous seal right. on the exterior. So again, it's the, how do we get the team together? I can't tell you how many bricklayers, I hate to pick on bricklayers, but I'd see, like, they they got a knife out and, they, you know, they accidentally cut the, the, the house wrap. And but they're also the ones that are asked to fix it while it's flapping in the wind when it wasn't really their trade that... No. was responsible for that it yeah. should have been the framers taking care of it. Yeah. so then it's just a hand-me-down pass but i mean it's, it's like the drywallers not tacking the vapor barrier back down if it blew off yeah. and then they just tack it like it, it, it was up so they just I, we had that happen a couple yeah. times but it's hard like in in <clears throat> their situation you've got a house that's already built there's certain things that when you build a house it has to be done properly at that moment because it's going to be next to impossible to fix it later on. Right. And you'll be band-aiding it for, for the rest of your days right. of owning that house. So that, I mean, that's, you know, that's how we, we build now. We do, I mean, we work with Owens Corning, so we yep. do their code sure. board. Yep. And we seal everything from the outside, yep. gasket everything, yep. Yep. you know, the corners, this, that, tape it. Yep. We did my own personal house a couple of years ago. Yep. Did the smoke test. Yep. Saw where the little leaks were. Went and took care of that. Even in the basement, the two inches of rigid before we poured up, continuous. Now the only thing that, you know, where the uh, pockets were, where the joist pockets yep. were, yep. 
they wanted us to, you know, to cut and and put their board, you know, their code board, rigid board in there. I mean, we just sprayed it still. Uh, but on the outside, where the um, the rim met the foundation, we would run um, blue skin to seal it, and yep. then we would gasket, yep. bring the code board over, yep. and then tape it. Yep. Because there's the moisture. Was, you, you know that that's where the moisture area is. Right. Are. But we still had to put the vapor barrier. That is also debated when you use... Uh, even a, even sp- the inspector said, sorry, yep. even the inspector said, he goes, you know what, I know you don't need it, yep. but it's the code and I have yep. to ask you to do it. Do you, you remember a few years back, well, I'm going to say maybe 10 years back when spray foam was starting to make it into resi and all the inspectors were saying you have to put the six mil poly on top of it and that actually created a problem because the dew point was now trapped yeah. and it was actually rotting the studs. Yeah. So then we are allowed not to put a vapor barrier six mil anymore on top of that. Well, it depends on where you build. Exactly. Oh, it's so different areas. Yeah. Eh? Okay. Here, around here you do. You still have to do it yeah. in front of the spray foam. I have an addition I put on my house last year. In Toronto, you don't have to, huh? Yeah, the, the reason, really? I, I, I'll tell you what the you reason. You don't have to put poly if you have the spray foam. Yeah, the reason behind it is they've actually tested it. So if you Google this, is the studs will shrink a little bit yeah. from the from the foam. And it rips the foam. And, and you get some breaks there. Yes. Um, so what uh, some builders have done is then they go with a code board or something and they'll do that air barrier. Yep. And it's really overkill. But on a custom home, I mean, people are willing to invest in that and you talk to them about it. It, it, the misunderstanding really is what an air barrier is. It really is. So that's why I like to, when I've had conversations with contractors, say, you know what? Like, let's go for a couple tours. Let's go look at some commercial buildings. Do you think this... Seal the envelope. Do you think this $75 million building is not concerned about moisture? Right. It is. Why in the world is there not a roll of six mil poly here? And a lot of them will say, well, it's the flame spread rate. Like common sense, right? You know, yeah. non-combustible construction. No, no, that's not it. But I can I can tell you, as you know, when we did that, um, the house that I built for myself. So now this has just become a standard for us. I mean, yep. it's a little more money, but the the end result is like is it the house that um, was designed for me had two furnaces. Well, doing this got rid of one. Absolutely, we can do we can do one furnace up to about forty five hundred square feet. Yeah, and we can have our second floor in our basement and now the way we the way we use uh do the hvac system is we uh, we zone it yeah. upstairs Great. in here Great. and we have the mechanical or the mechanical the, dampers right absolutely so when we're calling for cool up here closes this it is brilliant yep. you're you're within a degree and a half yep. of your yep. basement yeah and after you seal it i had my place for 14 months and I spent $1,100 on gas. That was two winters. Yeah. It was unbelievable. That's working together as a system, though. Yeah. Well, and I think, it's part hard. Of, I think part of it is it's just regrouping on it. But, I mean, what's astonishing to me, again, is the consumer is not demanding this. Because it's Roof, not a kitchen or a bathroom. It, exactly. It's not like, a home theater. Like, you know, you don't invite the brother-in-law over to get him to, you know, be envious of your new house and say, hey, check out my air barrier. 
Right. <laughs> Have you seen? Well, what hang on. Here? I think the three guys at this table would, <laughs> just, and I think a lot of people yeah, listening we're would. Geeks. Yeah. But you know, oh, I, dude, think, look I think at that air barrier. <laughs> wow. You, you got some more questions here, Manny. Go for it. Sorry, sorry. I got, yeah. So she, another question here. Um, referring to the new build architectural plans, we noticed some items stated in the build plans were obviously not followed in actual build, i.e., soundproofing and walls, furring strips for rain screen, uh, for exterior siding, etc. Does builder need to follow the plans? or is their leniency and how the building is constructed? No, and this is actually, it's a great question. The building permits issued on the documentation submitted and reviewed, that becomes what has to be built. Here's the dilemma. The building official only can enforce the code and nothing more. If the contract documents suggest you want to exceed the code, as long as you're not breaking code, the inspector is not inspecting any of that. None of that. So, for example, if you decide to, I think this is a dumb idea. So I, if you, I, if you overbuild, yeah. the inspector is not obligated to inspect the overbuilding no. portion. No. They have to make sure it meets code. The contractual arrangement for between the builder and the homeowner is to make sure that you've given them what they want. Here's an example. And I cringe at this. I think it's the dumbest idea ever, but on high-end custom homes, they're notorious to put ice and water shield on the entire roof. The whole roof. Have you ever seen them try to re-roof that? So unless you're putting a lifetime, and what is that? These metal lifetime roof roofs, or something. Roof, yeah. I'll just be honest because you can't take it off without taking the roof sheeting off. Like you, or you re-sheet it, which creates problems with fascia. There's all kinds of weight. issues. Weight. Weight. And I'm not sure it gives you a better roof. I mean, I, the membrane is required so the shingles don't adhere to the, the sheeting. There can be some movement and go with high-quality shingles. And for sure, ice and water in the, in the valleys. In the valleys, the hips. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, any kind of compromised area. But the rest of it. So if it's not on the whole roof, the inspector is looking for the, the bottom part of the roof to have the eaves protection they need. First three feet. That's it. Yeah, and actually, that's more than three feet. You do the math on it. It's to be 12 inches past the inside face of the wall. So you use a two by six wall and you have a 16 inch overhang. If you do the math on it. You gotta do six feet. <laughs> you gotta do more than three oh, feet. Oh, I didn't realize oh, that, yeah. huh? Yeah, but yes. you always guys just roll out that first roll. Right. We're done. Right, so you could drive down any subdivision. I still like doing this, even though I've retired. And looking at it, yeah, they're not, they're not, most guys do it, but some Well, this goes back to a roofing inspection. I know. <laughs> so isn't it on some metal roofs that they want the ice and water all the way through? Yeah, they, they do. It has to do with how they fasten it. But I'm just saying on a metal roof, often they're putting sleepers on anyways. Like yeah. They're putting strapping over top. Then you can replace the roof membrane as you're you right. need. It's when you're doing shingles. like. <laughs> isn't it true that siding does not require, as per the OBC, any furring strips whatsoever? Correct. It's the manufacturer. No, you don't have to put any furring strips whatsoever. Some siding manufacturer want. Yeah. For, to avoid warranty. But regarding right. the, the OBC, you yeah. do not have to put any furring no. strips whatsoever. No. And, and, you know, to be honest, the, the code is, in my opinion, super lax. I don't mind saying that in terms of wall reinforcement. You know, we went to exterior insulation, which you have to have now. Clad the outside of the studs. So you don't minimum what is it? R minimum R six. Yeah, okay. R six and a half or something like okay. that. Is is what happened there? Is is there's no rigidity anymore of that building frame <laughs> until you actually drywall it. Yeah. 
you know, the good, you know, some of the better framers would take three eighths OSB, which you can basically see through and staple it to the corners on the outside, which was better than nothing. Better than nothing. Or, or, 100%. or let it get wet and it becomes half inch OSB. True. It does vary. <laughs> yeah. And so we, as a building division, were kind of grappling with this. And then we had houses blow down. Yeah. In I fact, saw a couple of that. In yeah. fact, we yeah. had a house. It was a real tall, narrow walkout. They loaded the roof with shingles. And the lady next door said, her exact words were, Mr. Inspector, they're using a steam shovel to push the house beside me back into place. Into plumb. (laughs) That got my attention. So I phoned my friend, Gunter, the veteran, and I said, Gunter, this is in your area. Can you go over right now? Absolutely. He goes over and that thing had shifted in the wind and they were using an excavator and Buddy's on the opposite side with a four-foot level going, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what happened? We, we, did, it, we, did it topple? We did issued it... an order to comply. We had them stabilize the inside, take the shingles off the roof. They got an engineer out. They had to rip it right down to the foundation. It had loosened every joint. And it was out of plumb about two feet. Like, like two feet they, on a two-four. Um... Oh, they did, but you know what? It, it, just, it buckled those, those, those metal T-braces just didn't hold it. And then we had well, you ha- got a lot of weight on top, oh, and yeah. you're pancaking it. So and we, it houses in Waterloo. There's a wind gust came through. We don't get tornadoes here, but went through and it flattened three houses. Wow. And they met code. They had, they had a framing inspection. They met code. Of course, the builder did what most builders do, try to throw the building inspector under the bus. You know, uh-huh. well, they inspected it, and they had, but the wind was so robust, and they had the shingles on the roof. And again, it's that the code is good, but it's not good. So you know what? Anything I ever designed, we put sheeting on the outside, rigid sheeting, and then insulation over top. Yeah, even go with seven sixteen. Absolutely. Like, it, it just, I know, but tell that to your client today when the seven sixteenth board is running what sixty seventy bucks a sheet. Oh, I know, I know. I, I learned something really quick on, on on my first year, I guess, of construction or second year. An inspector taught me that plans are never approved; they're always issued. Well, they're reviewed. All reviewed now. Is that the word? That's the word. That's the word. Because they may miss something. I reviewed it. Plan <laughs> review. <laughs> As Glenn has one eye covered, uh, <laughs> looking for the eye chart. Yeah. Uh, no, when no, I, that, that, that they're never approved. But clients, for whatever reason, think that these are the approved drawings. These are approved. approved. And some stamps actually say approved. Like, they do. That's right. Yeah. So you got to look at it. If it says approved, well, you... So how do you argue that then? How do you... Well, part of it is is that a lot of information... Low-rise residential... The drawings are wanting, always, unless it's a high-end custom home, and then you get everything because they've paid a, a designer good money to give you the full documentation. Right. I mean, I can't tell you how many times the junior plans examiner, I get a, I get a drawing coming in, and the wall section's for a bungalow, and it's a two-story. And you're looking at it thinking... <laughs> and I had Approved! The build, <laughs> and I had the builder say... Can't you just imagine a second floor on it? I said, yeah, I can actually. Yeah. But I'm not going to. You know what, Glenn, can you walk us through the process of like us submitting the drawing or a client submitting a drawing to the city? And I guess it's got to go through all the departments. Is that how it works? Yeah. Or how, yeah. Like, tell us a little bit how that works. Because we're not privy to that, right? Well, it, it varies. But generally what happens is it comes through. And I mean, you know, when the government got involved and said that, you know, there was going to be Bill 124 said you're going to have this clock, you know, that starts and you got a minimum, you know, get two week issuance. To be honest with that, the problem is, is that seldom, if ever, are the plans, like the documents, complete, complete. No. Seldom. It, you know, that clock thing is kind of gone by the wayside it really is because to be be honest as a plans examiner you could find something you could find something 
wrong and then stop the clock. And once you find a deficiency and issue a deficiency letter, the clock is gone. Yeah. It doesn't restart. Most people think it restarts. Just get that out of the way because that gets thrown up a lot to building officials. So generally when it comes in is, is they, they triage it. You know, they'll have people. So where does it go first? It, when it comes in, and I'll speak from Kitchener's perspective, uh, I have the most experience there, is a, a zoning check is done to make sure that there's zoning, zoning compliance first. and stuff yeah. like that. In our department, they were side by side, which was great. So if you had a client who was in a big hurry and, you know, you could kind of help things along. But generally things follow in the order they come in. And, and construction is just so busy. It's really difficult to to get ahead of it. And then COVID thrown in on top of it. Right, These people right, are right. doing plans examination from home. So that like, but everything's digital, you know, submit it digitally now, which actually should make it quicker. And it does. So it, it really it, did. It, it, it did? didn't, it didn't do it in the city. Well, it, it generally does. I talked to my counterpart, um, uh, the chief building official in Kitchener, and he says they're trying to keep it, but it, it, it's just the volume, pure volume. Right. And, and you gotta, you gotta know that building departments are allowed to build up a reserve under bill 124, they allowed a reserve and it's usually a two year operational thing. And so what builders don't understand is why, if we have a big swell in, in business, why aren't you just hiring more people? The problem is you can't hire 10 more plans examiners without hiring 10 more building inspectors. Where are you going to find these people? Right. You got to train them. So like it, it doesn't work that way. So they're trying to manage a number of employees and hoping they got it right. Right. What I say to builders is the best thing you can do is make sure that you've got everything complete and don't repeat errors. Like right. in other words, make sure you got you know, all your stuff there, get a good designer working with you. So it came in zoning would check it, you know, and then the plans examiner would, would, as they came in, they usually taken just the way they came in in order chronologically yeah. review them. If they look at one and think, Oh, they're, they're missing something. It pulls out, goes on a hold pile deficiency letters issued. It's resubmitted, comes back, pull it back into the queue and continue on. But the problem is there's so much building up in that, that pulling those back into the queue is sometimes a problem. But when you put that over in this pile, because it's missing some information, yep. does the designer architect get a phone call to say, hey? A deficiency letter is issued to the applicant. An email. Yeah, uh, yeah. and it could be the builder. Right. Again, they have. it's their job then to disseminate that. So uh, years ago... Is you that get, where it break, would break yeah, down? Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, the contractor's out trying to figure out why the framer didn't show up or where's my insulation. They're not checking all the time. When I was a plans examiner, this is pre-cell phone stuff, I often would just phone the designer because I knew them yeah. and said, hey, you know, you're missing... Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. Like the builder didn't even know because, you know, it gets lost in translation yeah. or gets you lose days. Building departments just don't have time to do that now. The, the pressure to get the permits out is so high and the volume is so high, they don't have enough resources some builders will say, ah, oh, you know, they're too picky at plans examination stage. I would say, as a former manager of building inspectors, is you better tell them the bad news up front than to just shuffle it through. And then, then the field people have to pick it up and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. You got too many windows on this site. Like, what were you thinking? You know, well, they went through and different lots so the house doesn't fit as it did on the other lots or whatever. Yeah. So we always said to the plans examiners, yeah, don't be in a big hurry. Yeah. Imagine you know. the second floor on that bungalow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sketching it as I talk to you right now. Are you putting brick up there or are you going siding? I would suggest siding. <laughs> yeah, put siding on the main floor and brick above that. Yeah, let's do something different. <laughs> Have you ever seen that? 
so, only in Cambridge. <laughs> so, so I think you know that's what would happen, and and I don't know whether it's still done, but uh, the track builders, the people that are building lots of houses, generally get pre-approved model plan review. And so, if it's model A, and they come in, and we've got twenty lots, we're putting model A on. They don't review the drawings again. It's ex they review the site plan that's for it. that model right. to make sure that there aren't you know. It's not a pie shape, and we, now we've got window issues or whatever. And so that is how they fast-track some of those. But the one-offs... But that makes sense. Absolutely. But what about the modifications that a client will actually make? Well, them? and sometimes they'll... Like, again, some municipalities, I'm told, will have a... They'll triage that and say, we know the building. This has been modified. They can do a quick review and say, yeah, no problem. And I'll tell you what, with the engineered wood products we're using now between trusses, floor joists, and all of that, load-bearing you know, load stuff usually isn't affected. That brings up a good point, eh, Jim, where are we relying too much on engineers these days? <laughs> we're, we're actually sitting that. in an engineering department. We're sitting, well, in, an engineering we're sitting in an engineering yeah. office. But I mean, <laughs> well, I'll ask them the question too at that point. But yeah. the thing is that every inspector that comes in, it's like, okay, send me the engineer report, send me this, and make this another revision, another revision, another revision. All I sudden, remember back, mm. and you probably remember too, there was never an engineer. You no. guys made the call. Yeah. What's happened is, I mean, it, again, it's litigation, it's legal legal issues. Everybody's kind of covering. Yes, the township or the city's they're, been they're, they're sued covering their so butt, much, yep, right? They're covering their butts. What I would say is, for engine, the engineering piece, because we have more engineering components, it's made it more complicated. Well, Back in the I stick mean, framing yeah, days, I mean, it was let's like face it, the houses are far more complicated than they were in Well, they're bigger in, span. In, in There's the no interior load-bearing walls anymore. Yeah. Everything's brought to the yeah. perimeter now, which changes. Like, yeah. that house could topple over. Yeah. So You I, just I, don't have the one steel beam anymore no. in the basement. No. There's and, and, and we'd get, often, you know, we'd have, the classic thing was is a 16-foot garage door with brick over it, and you got a angle, and that angle's going to rotate. That <laughs> right. angle's going to rotate in the middle. So we got so sick and tired of that in Kitchener, we actually paid an engineer to come up with a, 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 beam, a beam design. Yeah. And it was, I don't know, three, no, it was a two by eight, two by 10, two by eight, two by 10 on the other side. So you staggered the joint, nailed together in a, you know, an equal, an unequal leg steel angle, big one, drilled with elongated holes leg to it so it could move like there was like so you because you don't want to make it rigid right because right. the wood's going to move we literally gave it like if you came in with brick above it we said here's a detail you got to use wow now you know then then you get your hand slapped because now you're designing now there's liability so then we had to retract that so that's why you're seeing an engineer being engaged a lot more and a lot of people say why do we need you the right. inspector if we're just going to get the engineer to it well that's true uh, yeah, you, you need go, both, and you need yeah. both. Yeah. Let's see, you won't you won't see that nowadays. It's going to be a W eight W ten with a plate welded on for the for the but brick. The, right? But the, that beam still has to be engineered at yes. some oh, point. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. So it. again, with our builders, we tried to get them as they had sort of standard details. We would have a literally a file folder. Now it'd be electronic of engineered details, and if you know, we'll give a shout out because we're at Waddell Engineering. Of course. If Waddell Engineering stamped a detail and they're good with it being used in that same Occasion. application multiple times, we would just assign that, like they would just give us that detail on the next host right. they're doing. Right. And, and that makes sense. They, they, you know, the engineers will do things where you're doing rafters and you want to, I call it a clip ceiling, you know, the structural collar tie. Yeah. That has to be engineered. You do it once, you're good to go, as long as you don't change the width of the, 
you know, if it's good, up, if it's good up to 16 foot wide and yep. you do 12, you're good. If it's 10, you use the same detail. So that's the kind of stuff that you try to do. And again, part of it is the prep up front and just everybody's push, 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 pushed. You can't get the permits fast enough, eh? Like you almost want them to be ATM. You yeah. just like pop them in and give them me and here you go. Yeah. But that's not right. I mean, like, like things take time. To, they have to be reviewed. Right. You ha- and there's lots of pages. There's lots of floors. There's lots of details. Yeah. And this is also an original design, especially if it's a custom yeah. home. Yeah. The custom stuff was always always a challenging. I mean, as a plans examiner, you like those because they're not cookie cutter. They're well, even, even before it comes to you, like we're sitting at the table with a client, potential client, and, you know, they'll say, okay, well, how long is the process? I said, well... It's really going to, it's up to you. If you can come up with a design real quick with your architect, then that'd be great. But mm-hmm. I can tell you now, it's probably going to take you three or four months for you to make up your mind what you want him to draw. Yep. Then he's got to draw it. Yep. And then if we're not going to go to a committee of adjustment, yep. then it goes to the city. I said, you're still eight months away. Yeah, back in the good old days, we would actually offer pre-permit meetings or review so if a builder was you know said i got three new models going to be doing these they would slide them into our office and when there was time that's a nice little you know, gesture we would we would sort of vet them you know like yeah. mark them up yeah and then send them back it saved time when they applied for the permit so we said you know you just spend the time now or later the risk was if they didn't go forward with it you invested in staff time, time but it was kind of a gesture i know that's gone it's just well, it's you so just don't busy. have the time it's to just do it. so busy it's making sure that you got it right and and now as a code consultant i don't do a lot of low-rise residential but on commercial i do a lot of pre-permit plan review right and i just i go through it just like a plans examiner would and say that what's this what's that and try to help them figure out more answers is there a huge cost cost attached to that or well it it depends if it's a big building i mean i'm working on high-rise condos like crazy right now and and there's so many people on the team so much invested i mean i'm finding the quality of these designs are good code compliance is not that challenging to be honest on these there's actually more i I would say this everybody under my watch wanted to be a part three you know building inspector because someone decided they were paid more which really bothered me i would say an inspector who can do a thorough inspection of all elements of a low-rise residential building has more technical knowledge than someone doing a hundred million dollar condo interesting and they don't have an architect, a mechanical engineer, a structural engineer like that are also looking at what they're looking at, that, that you do in a high-rise. The skill set is high. So I, I have the utmost respect for low-rise residential building inspectors, he or she that can go through and make sure the air barrier is right, you know, like all the stuff we talked about. That's where I really think I had mentioned it off air, Jim, that in the next five years, actually it's probably four years now, 60%, 65% of the existing plans examiners, building inspectors are going to retire. And we're going to have this groundswell. There's going to be a it's scary time. number. It's yeah. scary. Yeah. And, and so we're going to have a lot of new people to the game. Wow. And I taught at Conestoga College, as I uh, had said earlier, and the Architectural Construction Engineering Technology Program is a three-year diploma program. And I taught code there. A lot of our grads from that program get hired as building officials. And I would say to them, if you do not have on-site construction experience, I don't care if you're a laborer. Just get it. Just get out Something. there because you'll see stuff happening. Get on right. high rise. You'll learn you learn by 
watch yeah. them, right? And so fortunately on our program advisory committee, which is great in the college systems, no program operates by themselves. They have this group of industry people to look over the shoulder to make sure that what's happening and that program has a stellar, stellar representation. Those employers we went to and said, this is what's happening. We don't have students that want to get out there and get their hands dirty, but they need to. And that group encouraged themselves and others to hire our students to get out on sites. And if they were a we, set is the short form for that long term of the an set or a set student, they'd get on site as a laborer, but they'd sit in on job site meetings. They would be there when cranes being done, when the, right, well, when the welders doing something. Yeah. And I just told them, I said, you know what? Just All ask. you need is safety shoes. And a willingness to get up early and get on site, it'll be it'll be better than going to school for three years. It's that yeah. second one though. Yeah. What's that? It's the second one. Yeah. Willingness to get up early. Yeah. That's the tough yeah. one. <laughs> but you know what? Uh, so that's where we're going with this. I, I mean, I'm already running. But into they're reluctant it. to actually your class, the, t- the students. They're reluctant to actually get all that on site. There's obviously. Are, is it the intimidation? Are yeah. they Are they worried that oh here here's the kindergarten class? Like, do we really want the kindergarten yeah. class on our job site? Is that what it is? Yeah, and and there's some safety issues. Yeah, They're concerned about the safety side of it. But, but if you you're know, in the building, like inspection, you, okay, hard hat, safety goggles, and safety boots. It's just a standard, right? Yeah, but I mean, to get the experience, you're on site as a laborer or whatever. And I just told them, I said, today, safety is the utmost concern. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, years ago, yeah, it was like. You kind of looked at rock and roll, yeah. But in commercial <laughs> show constru- up and flip flops, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Commercial construction, in particular, I mean, Ministry of Labor is very, very tight on those. Yeah. I mean, residential they are too, but high risers like they're getting know. tighter on yeah, residential. Yeah. So that's just a shout out to the industry to know that there's going to be some changes. But again, let's let's keep this partnership going. You might have somebody new, and and they're willing to learn. And, and to those that want to become building officials, I, all I would like to say is if any of those are listening or if you're a builder and you're dealing with one of those is just say, understand you were young once too. Yeah. And you didn't know what you know now. So let's just treat each other with respect. They yeah. are the authority having jurisdiction. And I'd always have, I'd always say to my inspectors and my, the students I taught is if you don't agree, if you're a contractor, a lot of our students are contractors, you don't agree, then say, could you respectfully show me in the code where that is. Right. And own a bloody code. Like a lot of contractors wouldn't even own a code. You well, know? legally I, you're supposed to have it in, on, yeah, in your I, truck or van or you're okay. They got the white 1975 No, code. no, mine's in there. Mine's, it's there. <laughs> How often do they update the code? Oh, a lot. I All mean, the time. Yeah. But when do you, when do they actually update if the I, book? If, if I, if the I, the book, sh- no, the book's not updated for you, a while. You see, you see yeah. like this is part nine. See all the pretty colors? Yeah. So there's, there's, there's two sets of yellow in there. There's a blue and a beige. They represent code changes that have come in so far. Every wow. time I get a code change. The yellow is a code change? I, I, I photocopy on a different color. So when I have a white page, it's original to the, the 2012 building code. And anything, a different color just tells me this is new. Right. So it's updated all the time. I think what the best thing would be is is you can buy uh, uh, online, like you can actually get a digital code from the ministry. They're selling them digitally now? Yeah, you can get that. And and I, that's what I would do, is just have a device or whatever that you can use it. Like, cause they, and they update them automatically if you have that subscription. And you have links to the Building Code Commission and all kinds of other things. Uh, the inspector will have something probably in digital form, maybe hard copy. You got to go back to it. And you know what? Yeah. I, you know, back to the where we started, you know, my friend Don, I, I showed him more stuff. He didn't know the code and, and he developed an interest, you know, 
and, and I won him over because he said, you know, why did they put the span tables in French, is what he called, in, in metric. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to anybody who's <laughs> francophone. In he, French. He would say that. And I, I took him this one day. I took him this. We converted all of the span tables to, to imperial. imperial, and we gave them to our, our, our clients. Like our inspectors would carry copies of these. And if you guys I never to... understood that. In school, we were taught metric, but in construction, you we were. build an imperial. I was taught metric. Oh, you weren't. No. Yeah. no. You were still imperial. No. I was taught metric, and I still have not connected to metric. But then I, I work with a lot of European trades, and they speak to me in metric. And yeah. it's Chinese to me, man. Yeah. It's just I try. I carry a dual tape measure. Yeah. I try, but my eyes always go to the inches. And that's that's a problem with the commercial has gone completely metric. Absolutely. So all high rise and everything is absolutely everything. And block coursing, everything went metric. Oh, that's back in nineties. So why is resi such a they're just slow. And what really bugs me is you you know, your sheeting sheet goods are four feet by eight feet, but it's eleven millimeters. So it's like <laughs> So as a building inspector, you gotta be able to kind of speak both because you know you're talking to a framer and they're you know because some of them and some of it got lost in translation you know when you do it it's five and five eighths it's not six inches so as a building official you got to say well okay but it was six before you know what i mean like yeah, you, a long time ago yeah like you have to sort of you say to the framer well it's actually five and five you know are you kidding me you're not going to call me on that uh no I guess I, you know what I mean? So there's problems with that part of it as well. The low-rise residential somehow has always been slow to change. I stay optimistic that with the younger group coming in doing enforcement, also contractors, it can change. We got to be more attention. The attention to details just has to be there. Coordination of trades has to be there. That was yeah. my last question. Like, I mean, because we got to wrap this up. Yep. This is like, Glenn, this has been an amazing conversation. Yeah. And love to get you back on the show when we got more more questions to shoot at you. But how are the young builders today? How, 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 like, how are they out there? Are they good builders? Or like, I know earlier on at the beginning of the show, you talked about how we are building better. Yeah. So how are they? Well, I, I can speak from a personal experience. I actually am looking for places to volunteer. And I, I in the township I live in, there's a nonprofit group that just formed and I'm part of the founding members and it's pretty exciting stuff and the young guy that's heading it is a builder his business name is just working just working <laughs> just working, just working. No, no, yeah no no g just working <laughs> and his name is Jeff and he's an amazing guy and he has such a passion for quality energy efficiency sustainable and social justice and this next generation has that the social justice piece they want to leave a better world than what they came into. And they're, they're willing to get dirty, hands dirty doing it. I just think we're going to see some changes in that. I think we're just going to see housing's got to change. Their generation can't afford these houses. Right. So the tiny houses have to be built right, and you can do some cool stuff. And he's, he's done some cool stuff. He and his wife modified a single-family dwelling, put an addition on, made it a triplex, and it's net zero. And he's got tenants in there who he's charging less rent to because his operating costs are less. And that's his social justice piece. Pretty amazing. Good for him. So you look at it, I, I'm excited about the Jeffs. And there are more of those. And it'll be contagious. Us old, fart, uh, us old farts. Yeah, <laughs> us old farts in the industry have to get out of their way yeah. and encourage them. And, and I'm so, I'm his code, 
guy. You know, I, I, I just, I love just, I, I do pro bono. I just, I like being with this guy. He's, I don't know, he's probably. The vibe. Half, he's the half vibe. my, oh yeah, he's yeah. just full of energy. And, you know, he's pretty naive with a lot of stuff too. But I just like that. And so there's more of that. But we, he's willing to ask. Yeah. And he's willing to discuss. Yeah. And he's willing to problem solve, right? And he understands the importance of a team. That's huge. Yep. You got any other questions there, Jim? No, I just, you know, I mean, going back to what you just, just said, I mean, I mean, I would agree <laughs> some part of it, but, <laughs> but I, but I'm finding that, yeah, there are the guys like, like that. And, and we know a few of them, Yeah, but I think I got to kind of leave it at a few of them. Right. I, I, I don't, I, I agree. I think the problem is, is low rise construction in particular, anybody can be a contractor has been the adage and only a few can be good. Right. When I say good. So what I would say, you know, and let's not put a guilt on you guys, but the more you can mentor and come alongside, oh, uh, yeah. you know, the next generation, I know you guys do that, but you gotta, we got to spread the word on it because we got to straighten this out. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, like, I love doing it. I mean, absolutely. we're doing it with a, a few guys. I mean, I got a couple, one guy in California. Yeah. It's yeah. great. I mean, what I like is the local construction association here, uh, Grand Valley. Um, I know the executive director there. She's an amazing person. They started this years ago where they have not next generation, but something like that. Basically you got to be under 40 and it's the leaders of companies, people in companies that are coming up or new companies and they get them together to socially connect, interact, they train, they offer training and stuff. That's important. Here's my problem with part of the problem that I have with the younger guys now. They're digitally socially connecting mm -hmm. and it's a facade mm -hmm. and they just need to keep up that facade as a filter and they're losing the art of what you just, that group you I talked agree. about, that you need to physically get together. And that's why this show has always been in person. I know we talked like for over a year yeah, yeah. trying to make this happen yeah. and then this bullshit COVID happened, but now we're finally talking. And it's a different conversation if we had it on a digital, digital. platform or Zoom, right? Yeah. So these kids need to put the thumbs down and sit down and talk in person with eye other to contractors. Eye, right? yeah, eye to eye, right? Yeah, exactly. Have it on a job site, have it in a parking lot, tailgate. Have those conversations yep. together. I because I a thousand percent agree with you. It's the team. You gotta build this team together. But yeah. it can't just on the digital social side. No. It has to be in person social. Yeah. Because they're losing that art of communication. Yeah. And if you can't communicate with somebody else, how the hell are you supposed to build anything? Well, and ironically, they're building some of that into post secondary education. Yeah, they should. The training on social engagement. Like I'm looking at some of it thinking, really? They should. But you know, it is it is missing. So again, I think we have to understand that. But, you know, in terms of accessing information and their digital skills, why not max that? We, 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 yeah. they're, they're, they're second to none in that. They can learn software like crazy. Right. Our students were yeah. like ridiculous. They already that. know that. Right. It's the, the, the value of the interacting in person. Yes, the personal. Yes. And, and we just yeah. got to help them with that. because. And I told the ones that wanted to be building inspectors, I said, if you don't like socializing, you don't like interacting with people. It's not your job. It's not your job. <laughs> Because you're going to be all by yourself. Can you imagine yeah. that? There's nobody else speaking for you. Talk you're, about a cock in a hen house, man. Yeah, that's Seriously, right. yeah. that's you. It's up against other. And if you get a rough and tumble contract, Don, you get Don. <laughs> and he might wave and just goodbye, man. Glenn, thank you very much. We got one last segment here. Yeah. We got to wrap up the show. Yeah. I think you know about the 12 questions of construction. Yep. What is your favorite construction word? Word? Word. Stud. <laughs> what is your least favorite construction word? Uh, least probably it's not my fault 
Never heard that one. What turns you on in construction? The energy efficiency. What turns you off in construction? Slow to change. What is your favorite car, truck, or bike, or vehicle? I'm a car guy, probably uh, a Ferrari. Right to the top. Right to the top. <laughs> any particular one? Uh, no, I'd take any. Red. In, any it has to be red. <laughs> it has to be red. red. <laughs> Just red. What is your least favorite car, truck, or bike, or vehicle? Uh Probably a smart car. That's an oxymoron in my mind. No, I, lots of people have said that car. Uh, what construction sound or noise do you love? Pneumatic tools. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You haven't gone the battery route? All the young kids love the battery tools. Yeah. I can't. I like the air. I like yeah. the compressor. I like all that stuff. There's man. nothing better than a, a, you know, a, a, a stapler putting a roof on and blowing it right through the sheeting and hitting me in the head. It's the sound of the staple off my hard hat, actually, that I like the best. Ding, 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 ding. True story. Does that go through? Oh, yeah. Hey, you want to turn the air down on that? Why? I said, I got three staples on it. <laughs> oh, by the way, your framing inspection failed. Yeah. I'm going to get first aid. <laughs> what construction sound or noise do you hate? What I hate? Jackhammers. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Well, you're retired now, so you can do anything. Yeah. Basket weaving. Mm. <laughs> Good luck with that one. What profession would you not like to do? Plumber. You don't like Ma plumber? Ma maintenance plumbing. Mm. No. Big money in it, though. I know. Big, big I money. I knew a guy that specialized in you know maintenance in funeral homes. Nasty stories. Oh. Nasty stories. I don't even want to know. I don't. No, I don't. No. <laughs> If heaven exists, retired now, rich. <laughs> if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly well, gates? Well, I believe heaven does exist. What you need to hear is job well done. Mm -hmm. Job well done. That's right. Glenn, thank you very much, man. Guys, reach out to him. Glenn Good at Rogers.com. Really appreciate you opening up the books, literally the code books, and yep. talking to everybody. And hopefully uh, we get more questions and send them your way. And then maybe good. maybe next year we'll get you back on and we'll sure. talk more code, man. Sure. But this has been lots of fun and it's been great to have yeah, Jim back Glenn, as well. Yeah. Great meeting you. This yeah. was, yeah. yeah. Me too. Yeah, it was great. Perfect. Good. That's Thanks, it. Benny. We are Addy. Actually, you know what? One, what is the oddest thing a contractor's ever said to you when you came to do an inspection? Well, I had, it I had some stories written down quickly. I did a drive-by, actually, myself. This guy's doing a second-story addition on a house, like putting a second story on a bungalow. Significant. I think, I don't think we issued a permit, so I stop in. I don't know this guy. He doesn't know me. I don't know him. I get up, and I meet him, and he goes, you're here to stop me. And I said, well, I'm here to find out what you're doing. It turned out it was only a small addition. He had stripped everything off the existing and kind of replaced some studs, so it was a, a small addition. And he said, what do I need to do? I said, well, here. And I grabbed a two-by-ten, about a two-foot piece of two-by-ten. And I said, you need to do some plans. He said, like what? So I, you know, I sort of did a rough sketch and this and that and <laughs> made a list. And, and I said, uh, uh, you're going to have to get someone to do that. If you need some help with that, phone the office. Uh, they'll give you a list of designers we've got. And this. But I said, you're going to have to stop until we issue a permit. I go back to the office. Two hours later, Buddy shows up with a two-by-ten. <laughs> That's his drawing. <laughs> I get paged to come to the front office. He said, you know, I was thinking about this. You know, he said, you need a drawing done. You did a drawing. Why can't you issue the permit on this? <laughs> Junior plans examiner standing there horrified by this. And I said, why don't you go get your stamps? I'll look after this. She gets the stamps out. I stamped it, signed it, went to the photocopier, <laughs> made four copies and sent them on his way. Contractor's notepad. I love it, man. Thanks so much, Glenn. Okay, we got to right. get out of here. <laughs>